All right, wonderful. Thank you so much. I love being part of this kindness conference. Thank you. It's an honor to be invited. I'd love to just share quickly that I am um, I'm so blessed to have had the opportunity to write eight books and I have 12 courses. I have actually eight children and 24 grandchildren. So those are kind of the same numbers there. And I love the opportunity that I've had for so, so many years, decades, and I love saying that, to work with the women of the world. And I started and created the Women's Information Network in 2008 and grew that. And I have a nonprofit that's the Global Prosperity and Peace Initiative. And because of this global work that I've done, and I've actually co-presented over 400 live events in 152 countries. And I, because of this work that I have been blessed to receive awards from the last three presidents of the United States, President Bush, President Obama, and President Trump. So I've been honored and I love the work that I do. My mission is to increase the level of love, prosperity, and peace on earth. So thank you for inviting me to introduce myself. And now I'd love to to share with our wonderful viewers and listeners uh, three beliefs. And I'm going to talk about believing in yourself. My fifth book is called Believe It, Become It, How to Overcome Obstacles and, and Excel Like You've Never Excelled Before. It's all about agency. It's about controlling your thoughts, words, and actions. So that you know there is within each one of us this beautiful power that we scarcely tap and it, it really has uh, energized and inspired great inventors and artists and musicians through the ages. It, it's that wonderful belief, that wonderful value of belief. And I love that we have the, the ability and the agency, the choice to believe in ourselves and in our abilities. And I'm going to talk about that first belief is I can create positive change in my life. And the second one is I am joyful and confident. And when we come to that, I'll talk to you about the ways that you can choose to create your own happiness, no matter what's happening around you. Let's go back to that first belief. I can create positive change in my life. And every belief begins with a thought. And if we want to be able to control our thoughts, then we're like the person who, is, who then is able to control their thoughts. And the people who can't do this are like the people who just allow their thoughts to take them wherever they will, maybe thinking in self-negatives, being pulled backwards into the damaging beliefs of the past. But successful people, as I've learned through the decades, they know how to control their thoughts. And of course, you don't do it 100% of the time. But absolutely, once you know how, then you're able to do it and it blesses your life and it blesses the lives of others. So I'm going to share some things from uh, uh, my presentation. And this is uh, William James. I love this quote. He said, the greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their beliefs. So I, I love that. So what is a belief? A belief is a sense of certainty about something. For example, if you believe or you feel certain that you're a fine musician, then you'll always create the results that validate that belief. 
And of course, you know, it works the other way too. If you think, oh, I've never been able to sing. I can't match a tune. I just, you know, then you're going to create the results to validate that belief too. Beliefs are so, so powerful. Dale Carnegie said, believe that you'll succeed. Believe it firmly and then you'll do what is necessary to bring success about. So as you develop that sense of certainty that positive beliefs provide, then you will be able to accomplish virtually anything. And especially those things that other people have been telling you maybe for years are impossible. And we hear the stories about people who have just believed in something, held on to that belief and overcome great obstacles, right? So I wanted to just point out some of those people and I know you know who they are. You've heard of these people, Dr. Seuss, you may not know that that first book, The Cat in the Hat, it was rejected by the first 23 publishers. It's like Kay Rowling's book, you know, I mean, it's like so many people turned them down. They had no clue, but they believed in what they had. They believed in their stories. And you've heard of uh, Michelangelo, the great sculptor and artist, the painter, and he, he painted for seven years lying on a scaffolding on his back that ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And by the end of the seven years, he was nearly blind from the paint that had dripped down into his eyes. And the, this is the type of thing that inspires us all because we're like, oh my gosh, he did that for seven years. Imagine getting up every day and climbing up that scaffolding, lying on your back and painting for seven years. And then you've heard that Michael Jordan, he was he was uh, cut from his high school basketball team. And uh, Walt Disney, I don't know if you know this, but he went bankrupt four times. But he believed in that little mouse, right? <laughs> and Albert Einstein, my husband loves this one because my husband has a PhD in biostatistics. My doctorate is a doctorate of education in human relations. But Albert Einstein's dissertation was rejected and called irrelevant. And, you know, this is Albert Einstein. And so you think, but back in the day, Albert Einstein was like, you know, a regular guy who was trying to get his dissertation approved. And now in retrospect, we look back and say, oh my gosh, but it's, there are people all around us right now who are doing incredible things. Why? Because they believe with all their heart and soul, every cell in their being believes in what they can accomplish and what they're creating. And I applaud those people. So let's talk about getting yourself out of the way, because that's sometimes the first step that we just, we're, we get in our own ways, don't we, sometimes? And so I wanted to tell you a story about Michelle. So Michelle was in walking in this, into the place where she worked, and she walked past these big executive offices with doors on her way to her cubicle. And she thought, you know, I'd love to sit behind a desk and have a real office of my own. And uh, she thought, well, but I'm just, I'm just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. That's never going to be me. And so that night she talked to her husband and she said, you know, Michael, I, I really, really would like to, to improve my status there at work. I'd like to get a, a promotion. And, and yet I just feel like I'm not, I'm not good enough. And, and he said, you know, just don't do anything, Michelle, that's going to put your job at risk. Just, you know, status quo, don't do anything, don't risk it. 
Well, when she walked by those offices the next morning, she repeated Michael's, you know, and she thought he's right, I shouldn't do anything. And so she didn't do anything and she never was promoted. And I think instead of going down that low road of negativity, she could have been striding confidently on the higher road of that wonderful belief in herself. How many times do we think in self negatives instead of positives? And we're talking to ourselves. It's self-talk that we just need to flip from being that negative to the positive. So I remember the very moment that it happened. I was sitting in the front row of a seminar. And I, you know, have you ever been in a seminar when someone, the presenter will say something and you keep thinking about that thing that they said and they'll go on, you know, won't, won't, won't continue to talk, but your back stuck kind of in what they said, or maybe a quote that they gave. Well, this is what happened to me. So I was on that front row and the presenter quoted Eleanor Roosevelt. And we know this quote. She said, no one can offend me without my permission. We know it. But how many times do we get offended? And how many times, even though we know we could fill that in, no one could offend me without my permission. We allow others to offend us. We give them the power. At what point do we stop giving them the power? At what point do we say, no, you know, I, I refuse to believe what you believe about me. <laughs> you know? And I've heard some people say, you know, what you think about me is none of my business. And I love that too. But I remember also, and soon after that happened to me, and I was 27, I'll never forget that. I'm, I'm the reverse of those numbers now. I'm 72, 72 years young, but I was 27. So I've thought about that and lived by that and taught this all these decades. Well, soon after I heard that quote by Eleanor Roosevelt, I read Man's Search for Meaning, for Happiness, and, or excuse me, Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I was intrigued to learn his story. And when I learned that Viktor Frankl was in the Nazi concentration camps and he had watched his entire family killed before his eyes. And those guards had beaten him and stripped him and starved him and deprived him of sleep. Now imagine living through that horror, that hell on earth. But what happened was miraculous, was so amazing. And he lived to tell about it. And he said, those guards could torture me, but they can't take away my will to live. They can starve me, but I can feast on my dreams of the future. You see, they can, they can strip me naked, but I can clothe myself with mental powers beyond their reach. You see, Viktor Frankl imagined himself at the pulpit of a university, teaching the next generation about the ultimate freedom. And here it is, my friends, the freedom to choose how we respond to life. Those prison guards couldn't make Viktor Frankl angry. They couldn't, he didn't give them the power to do that. And this is what we're talking about. You know, he would never say, oh, you, and, and like us today, how many times have we ever said to someone, you make me so angry? Well, nobody can make you angry. You know, how many times have you said, well, I can't possibly go to that meeting. I'm not a morning person. Well, that's, 
you know, sometimes debatable. People really do. Uh, but really, if you needed to get to that meeting, that excuse of I'm not a morning person wouldn't be part of your thinking process. You would think this is important. And so you allow then your mental capacity, your will to supersede anyone who might try to pull you down, who might try to offend you, to make you angry. And you understand this powerful principle, not only understand it, but you put it to work in your daily life. Yeah, and it, and it is easier said than done. It absolutely is, and I get that. So I, I love the story about Marlene and David because this is such a reflection on women kind of, and the men might smile. But, uh, so Marlene and David had a quarrel right before David left for work. And Marlene said, you know, right after the woman had the last word <laughs> and he left and Marlene was just so, so angry about it. Well, David went ahead and had a very productive day. What did Marlene do girls? You know what she did. She went on the phone. She's talked to her best friend. She's replaying that whole, you know, and then he said this, and then he said this, and could you believe he said this? And she was more angry when he came back from work than she was that morning. She just stirred herself all. And he had had, like I said, a productive day. Actually, men are very much, they're better than we are girls at being able to release things like that. And when sometimes we need to take a hard look and say, we need to let things go. Well, how do we let things go? Well, you might say, well, you know, but I had such a bad example. I, you know, I, I, and we know there are only three ways to teach a child, Albert Schweitzer said, by example, and by example, by example, but they had, maybe you've watched your parents lose their temper or, you know, whatever. But, and then I say, you know, let's go there. Let's go back to when you were a child. Let's go back to when you're a teenager. So what if that happened? We can't change the past, my friends, right? And so then we can get past the past and we could focus on the future. And right now, no matter what happened to us as young people and horrific things happened to so many and it's not condoning abuse or anything else, but what it's saying and what I'm saying in all love is that right now today as adults, we have choices relative to how we deal with our past and our future and our present. We can either continue to go back into that past and beat ourselves up emotionally or beat somebody else up mentally and think, why did you do this? Or we could let it go. We could get past the past and we say right now today in this moment, I have choices relative to how I deal with everything that comes my way whether it's unkind, whether it's mildly sarcastic, or whether it's overtly just mean, just wrong, we can choose how we respond to life, back to Viktor Frankl. And so, yes, it's easy to say, but it's not that much harder to do when you try it a little bit at a time. And sometimes people's default is just to go back into that mode of blaming, go back into that mode of accusing and, and you know, uh, being so angry. And so what are the choices? We can either do that or we can what? We can really internalize that quote that we all can finish. No one can offend me without my permission. And we can, and then we can refuse to be offended. We can refuse to be angry because we know how to do deal with it. So how do you deal with it? 
when that very first thought comes in, my friends, you label it, you just say, hey, that was negative, that was unkind, that was critical, whatever it was, that wasn't like me, I usually don't think negative thoughts, right? And then what do you do? You just replace it. Hey, if she knew me better, she wouldn't have ever said that to me. I need to get to know her better. You just replace it. Now I know my dear friends that you have heard this before. You maybe have heard it ad nausea, but the question is, what are you doing right now today to release yourself from the power of anybody who you look at and you might judge, you might point a finger at, you might blame, you might resent, and for heaven's sake, you might have not forgiven. And so this is a beautiful time in this kindness conference to say today, I'm going to even forgive that person who, and I'm so sorry to tell you that I have women with whom I've worked that they go sometimes 20, 30, 50 years still holding on to a grudge. And it's not hurting that person. We've all heard the proverbial, you know, you take the poison and you expect the other guy to die. It's not hurting them. And so why would we do it? And if there's anybody, anybody for any reason in your life that whom you have not forgiven, I'd like to invite you to consider the possibility of taking this kindness conference three days and say, this is the perfect time for me to release myself from their grasp, because that's actually what you're allowing yourself to do. All right. So, you know, I, I love the opportunity we have to teach the next generation. And you may have heard when I told you that I have eight children, 24 precious grandchildren. And in such, we all have the opportunity, whether they're nieces or nephews and, um, you know, what, whoever you have in your life, but you think that our children are growing up right now believing, and we're talking about believing and becoming, who we tell them they are. And too many times I hear these, you know, I see these sweet children who are believing parents who might say, you never obey me. Well, what are they going <laughs> to, you're right, you know, and it's self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And, you know, you kids are always quarreling. Why can't you ever? And I've even heard them say some such unkind things, you know, are you sure you want to eat that? Because, you know, gosh, you don't need any more weight on that fat body. I mean, unkind things that those children internalize and they believe and they become who you tell them they are. I love it when you obey the first time because you're such an obedient young man. You're such an obedient little boy, little girl. You know, you always obey the first time. Um, you know, it's you're such an honest little boy. Now, what happens if he lies bold faced to you and you know he's lying? You say, oh my gosh, that's such a surprise because, you know, you're not telling me the truth, honey, but you're usually so truthful. You're such an honest boy. I know you'll, you'll choose the right next time. And I love you with all my heart. And you talk to the children like this, my friends, and they become who you tell them they are because they believe you. Every time? No, of course, there are exceptions to rules. And four of my eight books are on parenting. <laughs> and so I, I, I've learned quite a bit about what works and what doesn't work. And what does work is helping your children believe in who they really are. Children of God with unlimited capabilities and possibilities for their lives. And I honor all religions. This is not about religion. This is simply Paula sharing her thoughts with friends. So thank you for indulging me that.
All right. So the children um, <laughs> in my family, I was told, you know, our family's just no good in math. Uh, you know, my dad said, I never was good. My mom's like, I never understood it. And sure enough, I, there's not one of us, six children, my brothers and sisters, <laughs> who excelled in math. We totally believed it. And other, you know, they'll say that same thing about music or sports, you know, and based on these, the, you know, sure enough, you don't do well in math or sports or, or music, but it's because you believed. Remember at the beginning, I said, you're going to play out. You're going to validate the, the results of your beliefs 100% of the time. So based on the failure in math or music or sports, whatever it is that you believe you're not at which you believe you're not good, then you, you fail. And then you're sure that it's the failure and not your beliefs, you see. And well, look at this. I'm not very good at math. Yep. None of our families good at math and it perpetuates itself. Or at some point, somebody says, you know, I am good in math. I do like math. And that thankfully happened to the next generation. <laughs> so, and yet you can orchestrate this in, with, with not just children, anyone in your life. And some of us are global mentors. What a wonderful opportunity we have to just pour love and positive reinforcement into the hearts and the souls of the people whom we mentor. So it's, it's, it's all, life is so good. All right, so, um, I love, there's a book, it's an old book called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. And some of you ones who might be in near my age might remember this, but I love, and I'm, I'm so, uh, I'm addicted to research and I love that everything that, that so many people who care about research, they care about the, the, the studies that were done that validate the truth of what they're teaching. And I try always to do that. So Dr. Dr. Maltz said, quote, numerous experiments have shown that once the concept of self is changed, other things consistent with the new concept of self are accomplished easily and without strain, close quote. So the key is you, it's me, it's all of us. We must first believe that we can create positive change in our lives. And remember, we're talking about, I can create positive change in my life. It's that first belief we want to internalize that I'm sharing with you. So we must first believe that it's possible, right? And the second is we must identify the beliefs that we need to change, that we need to alter. And the third is we need to use, um, we need to learn about and use then key skills. And I've already taught you one of them. And the key skill is learning how to label, replace and focus forward with any negative thought that comes your way. And there are other wonderful skills that we absolutely just don't even have time to talk about now. So what I'd love to do now is talk about that second belief. And that is, I am joyful and confident. You see how I say it in the very first term of the first person, and you're able to say, I am. Because the more you say, I am, the quicker you become that person. I am, you think something negative, it works both ways, right? Negative and positive. So I love that there was a study done many years ago back in Stanford University, and it was a substantial study, about 2,000 people over many years. And this is substantial, and I love the, the results. So here's the conclusion. 
happy people and unhappy people tend to have had very similar life experiences. The difference is that the average unhappy person spends more than twice as much time thinking about unpleasant events in their lives. Whereas the happy person tends to, here comes a verb, seek and rely upon information that brightens their personal outlook, close quote. So why would we spend hour upon hour upon hour watching news that only taints us? Yes, we want to know what's going on, but every one of the news, they all have their own agenda. And we need to step back and say, is this helping me emotionally, physically, mentally? Or do I need to find out what's going on in the world and not spend quite as much time? Remember, what is this? Happy and unhappy people. Unhappy people tend to hold on. Yeah, think about unpleasant events. And the happy people tend to seek and rely upon information that brightens their personal outlook. So, you know, I love reading books. I love talking to people like Marilyn Harris, who, you know, and people who are looking on the bright side, people in the audience right now, those of you who are watching and listening, who, who seek to improve their lives. You wouldn't be here if you didn't seek that. So I applaud you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. So I'd like to share with you seven things that we can do to create our own happiness, no matter what's happening around us and no matter who's trying to pull us down. Are you ready for this? So the very first one is my favorite. And I bet if, I, if I'd stop talking so quickly for a moment that you could think of it yourself. <laughs> but what is the very first thing that you would think could create your own happiness? So number one, thank you. And that's very close. And it's, it's think gratitude. Be grateful for what you have. Focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. That's right. So I love, I love opportunities that we get to remind us of how blessed we are. So this happened and it's happened to me for decades because my global work, you know, I've been in the Kibera slums and uh, many other slums, but in the Kibera slums in Nairobi, Kenya, Africa, one million people live in one square mile and they live in lean-tos and corrugated, you know, um, what do they call that? You know, tin, that's the corrugated material and, and, and huts and, and it's just, it's so oppressive. And yet some of the women and I deal with the women there and, and men, I honor you, but my work is with the women of the world. And they're happier than the women who live across the lake where I live in a 10,000 square foot home. These women know they're tripping over their lower lips and they're, you know, so such a high suicide rate and, and all over the world for so many people who have a lot of things. But what they haven't learned are some of the priceless life lessons that have been learned by the poorest of the poor, how to be grateful for everything. So I was so honored years ago when I was asked to speak at NATO headquarters, which is in Brussels, Belgium, and I represented the United States. And we were supposed to tell what we had done to strengthen the families in our nation the previous year. And that was the year that I had created the book Solutions for Families. I had written that. And I had also created a 55-minute parenting video called 
creating a successful family, which of course, every family is always working on. <laughs> but it, And so I told about that and other women told about what they had done. And I was so, my every cell in my body was shifted by the last woman to speak. She was from Mali. This is a nation, 54 nations in Africa. Kind of kills me when people say, well, go to Africa. And I say, well, which of the 54 nations are you talking about? Because it's a continent, it's not a nation. Anyway, so to be able to say, to be able to sit at the feet of this woman, she shifted my DNA. And let me tell you this story. So this beautiful, she was black as night, beautiful white teeth, beautiful woman stood up and she had on a gold headdress and a gold flowing robe that she wore all three days of the conference. And I later found, found out that her sweet, sweet women in her village had saved their money for a year to buy the material and they sewed it by hand so that she could represent Molly. And she stood up and she had listened to all of us tell our things. And she stood up and she, big tears started rolling down that beautiful face. And she said, I don't do the fancy things that you do. You see, she said, in my village, there's open sewage that runs down the middle of it. And she said, and each morning, the women in my village, we get up and we take our shovels and we go from family to family and we find the ones who had died from AIDS the night before and we bury them. And she said, if it's the second parent, then she said, we, we take our, their children and we raise them. And she said, you see, we don't have houses like yours. We have lean-tos and huts and we live in caves. And she said, right now, I'm living, I'm raising 26 children in my cave. No husband, no electricity, no running water, not her children. And I sat there and there was not movement in that room as deep into our souls, we had such great love and respect and awe for her and for women like her, of whom there are many all over the world and men also, of course. But what I love is the opportunity it gave me to shift my DNA and I'll never be the same because anytime I think about something that might be annoying me and I realized this is such a first world problem. I think about that beautiful sister in Mali, in West Africa, with her 26 children in that cave and how difficult her life is compared to mine. That is the ultimate kindness, the ultimate kindness to sacrifice your life, your well-being, your health, I'm assuming, at the to be able to serve with no applause from others no awards no you know people don't even know and there are people like that my friends all over the world good wonderful people and so gratitude has to be the first of the seven ways that no matter where you are what you're doing when you start having a little complaint in your heart about what's going on, I'd like to invite you to consider how blessed you are and how grateful you should be. Excuse me. Yeah, so Andrew Carnegie, or Dale Carnegie, yeah, he said, 
happiness doesn't depend on outer conditions. It depends on inner conditions. It isn't what you have or where you are or who you're with that makes you happy or unhappy. It's what you think about it. He said, for example, two people could be at the same place at the same time doing the same thing and one is miserable and one is happy. Why? Because of a different mental attitude, close quote. Yeah, so that's the number one. The number two is very closely related. The number two is to be others-centered, to be kind, to be loving. Mother Teresa said, spread love wherever you go. First of all, in your own home. Give love to your husband, your wife, your children, your next door neighbor. Now here's my favorite line and my favorite quote. She said, let no one ever come to you without leaving better and the happier. She said, be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face, kindness in your smile, kindness in your warm greeting, close quote. Ah, someday I want to meet that little tiny woman who became a saint is now on the other side. So I love being inspired by that type of just reminder that we can be other-centered and still fill our own cups. And I understand that principle because you can give love better from your overflow. So number three is to be flexible and cheerful. Just don't sweat the small stuff, you know? <laughs> when you have a cheerful heart, then you just, don't, you, you just don't make little things big things. And I'm sorry to say that they're, that's kind of a talent for a lot of women. <laughs> Not a good one, but they make, they, it, it's an issue. They, they'll take the littlest thing and it grows. And I'm just like, why? No se importante. That's just not that important. And so Richard Carlson, um, one of my heroes, he, uh, his wife, Kristen, is a friend of mine and their two daughters, beautiful daughters. He wrote, don't sweat the small stuff. He was only 42 years old when he was on his way in an airplane to uh, be interviewed on the Today Show. Richard Carlson, don't sweat the small stuff. He, he experienced a massive heart attack and died in the plane. And you never know how short or how long you have in your life. But what he gave the gift to, to the world is just these beautiful books. And then his wife continued on and wrote others. It just don't sweat the small stuff. And it's almost all small stuff, especially in a first world country, right? Yeah. So I love that. Be flexible and cheerful on our refrigerator when I raised my children, I wrote, be pretty if you are, because my first, I have five daughters and three sons, but be pretty if you are, be wise if you can, but be cheerful if it kills you. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, you just say, put on a happy face and you become what you believe you are and they will try to be cheerful. And, you know, I understand and I've been around this world many times and had many ups and downs, failures and successes. And did I say failures? And so I understand that many of the things we teach each other, they, they get tested in the refiner's fire of life. And I tell women all over the world, I really love working with women who have been, had their own refiner's fire and come out on the other side, instead of withered and burned up, 
but they're more energized and purified to be, be able to have the strength then, like the diamond, to be able to then use their life lessons to teach others and to help others. All right, let's talk about number four, and that's being passionate about something. When you wake up on a Tuesday morning, what are you passionate about? And if you aren't passionate about just so energized by what you're going to do, come help me. <laughs> yeah, go to paulafellingham.com. I've got all these. But there are so many good things, you know, so many good things to be working on. But part of creating your own happiness is doing something that you love doing. And if you don't love what you're doing, if you possibly can, stop doing it. Find something that you love that you uh, you can make money and provide for your family. And of course, I tell people, wait until you are making as much money doing that thing as your current paycheck and then let that go. Don't just drop it and say, oh, but Dr. Fellingham told me that I could just stop it because you know it's, it's important to use wisdom. But if you really are not waking up on a Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday morning and being excited about what you get to do that day, that's a choice. That is a choice for most of the people in this world. Not all, sadly, but certainly most. All right, my dear ones. So number five, we talked a little bit about this. Number five, and this is how to create your own happiness, no matter what's happening around you, no matter who's trying to bring you down, is to use that healthy self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, I'm just getting better and better every day. And that great self-talk, you know, I am, and fill it in with the positive, you know, just, you know, instead of I'm so stupid, you know, you just, I mean, I hear women say this, I'm like, no, 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 no. And just because it, it becomes a habit. So I'd like to talk to you just a, a 60 seconds. We're gonna do something fun. I'd like you, well, this is fun for me. I hope it's enjoyable for you too. I'd like you to fold your arms right now. Just go ahead and fold them, okay? Do it, yeah, put down what you have, fold your arms. Yeah, do it. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Fold your arms. Yep, there's some that still don't have their arms folded. Okay, fold your arms. Here we go. All right, thank you. And now, you ready? Unfold them. Unfold. That's right, unfold. Now, fold your arms, not the way you just did, the opposite way. Do it the opposite way. Try to do it not the way you just did, the other way. Does it feel strange? That's like habit. You, when I said fold your arms, whoop, and then you say the opposite way. Well, when you try to change a habit, it does take a little bit of time and effort. But oh my goodness, it's so worth it. So worth it. And so many times, it's simply a habit to come into that self-talk that says, ah, I'll never understand this computer. Instead of, hey, <laughs> I'm going to get this. I can figure this out because I'm just getting better and better every day in every way. Whatever you want to say to yourself. All right. Number six, these are the ways to create your own happiness. Ignore your negative thoughts. We all have negative thoughts. The question isn't whether we're going to have them or not. And they did this study. You may have heard of it that there, we all have about 50,000 thoughts a day. And I think, how did they do that one? You know, here's a the thought, there's a the thought. I don't know how they did it, but anyway, 50,000 thoughts a day is what the study says. And some are gonna be negative, some, some are gonna be positive. The trick is to be able to just ignore your negative thoughts. Now, what I'd like to do, and I wish I would have brought it in, I'd like you to pretend I've got a match. 
So I just struck the match and you see it lit right there. Do you see it? Yeah, say yes, yes, I see that. So there it is. That's your negative thought, that flame. Now that negative thought, I could just hold on to that match and let that negative thought come down and it's gonna do what? It's gonna hurt me, it's gonna burn me, it's gonna blister. Or I could what? I could blow it out before it hurts me. I could just say, oh, there's a negative thought. That's not like me. I usually don't think negative thoughts. And then you carry on with thinking, flipping that to be a more positive thought. And yes, sounds like Mary Poppins. And yes, it works. And yes, it helps you become more joyful and happy. And that's what I'm talking about. You becoming is just taking it up a little notch and being a little happier. And then the last one is to ask good questions. Stop asking bad questions. Bad questions are like, why does this always happen to me? Why can't I ever remember names, right? You know, and people say, yep, I knew it. Just when things started to go well, this had to happen. Always happens to me. So <laughs> you ask yourself good questions. You say, what can I do right now to make myself feel happier? That's a great question. You know, you walk in at Christmas time into the post office, you've got your bundles, you've got your packages, and there's a line of 20 people. You've got choices. You could be upset that whole time because you can't be on your phone. You're holding all your packages, right? <laughs> and so for so many years, we didn't have phones. To... Anyway, so you're, you have choices. You can grumble and you could be, all oh, that person's sure taking a long time up there. So I want to tell you about this story. So I had our little number eight was three years old. And we went into the post office. This is a true story happened. He's just a little guy. And I said, Ben, I said, we're going to be here for a while. But when you get up to the front, I want you to say something nice to whoever we get. Well, there were three people working there. So he had to think of three nice things. So he had a long time to look at him. And so then when we got up there, then I put my packages down and I lifted Ben up. So he was up there, up, you know, up at the counter with me. And I said, and the man who was the one, and he was quite a large man and he didn't have any hair and he was not a happy guy. I mean, he was like, you know, not too happy. He was not very pleased. And I thought, what in the world is this little boy gonna say? And I'm holding Ben and he looks at, I said, go ahead, Ben. Cause I didn't know what he was gonna say. And he says, you got cool dimples. Well, I hadn't seen his dimples, but sure enough, Ben had noticed and that man, broke into a smile and sure enough he had these big old dimples and I thought on that way home I bet that man thought I've always kind of liked my dimples I mean <laughs> just a cute thing but what do you do with the time that you have is the question what are you doing with your mind where are you letting it go and these are all choices and it's all up to us so the first one that first belief, I can create positive change in my life. And the second one is I can be more joyful and confident than I've ever been in my life. My sweet friends, I know these things are true. I know what I've taught is it works. I'm always still working on it because I'm very far from where I want to be eventually. Of course, we're always still working. And I believe that we all can do this. And I know that as we believe it, we will become it. So thank you and God bless each one of you.
Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Emma Lou. That's very, very kind. Appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, they're just fine. It's just <laughs> that's just absolutely fine. Sure. <laughs> well, it is a lot. 